You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. A couple weeks ago, we started a series called Culture Defined as we felt stirred in our hearts to take time to articulate the cultural values that we've uh, felt God calling us to cultivate in our church family. So culture defined. A couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the presence of God, this, this central concept of the redemptive story, that God is not distant, that he's not distant, but instead he presented himself as God with us. He wants to come and be present with us, God amongst humanity. And we see that in the person of Jesus, and we see that with our final reality in the book of Revelation, that God wants to dwell with us. So we want to be people of his presence. We want to be people that live with a greater awareness of God's reality in this present, in this present moment. It's the presence of God. And uh, last week, my, my brother from Las Vegas, Jeremy, came and helped us talk about the second value, which is this question, who's next? We want to live with this sense of expectancy and urgency that asks that question, who's next, God? Yeah, we're, we're excited about the 99 that are here, but what about the one more that's not here? That's that, that kingdom concept of Jesus leaving the 99 to go chase down the one. And we want to constantly have that, that burning urgency in our hearts to be looking for who's next and not be just celebrating who's here. It also applies to this generational concept of looking for who's next that's coming after us, the next generation. This morning, we're going to talk about a third value, authenticity. So important for us to be people that are astute and consciously aware of the culture that we create. God has called us to be culture creators. He's destined that for, for, for us to be aware of the words that we say, the attitudes that we carry, because it matters for the, the environment around us. You can suck the, the air out of a room if you carry a certain culture about you. We want, to be, we want to be conscious and astute and aware of the culture that we create as people of God. I think for many, for many of our early years on this planet, we are oblivious to culture. We assume what we've experienced is all that there is in the universe. And your eyes begin to get expanded as you venture into adulthood. But I think marriage is one of the m- most brutally like, uh, arresting moments of like culture collisions, right? I mean, marriage is two cultures colliding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's good, but it, it's true. It is true. It's cultures colliding. And I remember for me and my wife, we came from very different families. I came from a big, loud, rowdy, sarcastic family. Do we have any sarcastic families in the house? Yeah, I'm sorry. That was like the love language of my family for some reason. I'm healing now, but that's where I came from. And my wife, she, she grew up like one of uh, her and her sister, the only grandkids on one side of the, of the family. And it was just her and her sister in their house, a small family, and they were so polite and kind to each other. I was like, wow, this is, this is refreshing. Uh, it's so hospitable. And my parents were like, yeah, get whatever you want out of the fridge, fix it for yourself. And uh, it's culture collisions then. Um, I, we, me and my wife were at a wedding recently, and we were sitting with uh, some old, old friends. And they were talking about their adjustments to married life. And uh, he came from the South, and he found out, I mean, they, they found out that he, what he loved to do after dinner is just sit at the table and let the dishes just sit there until morning, all the way till morning. Down South, I guess that's a thing. They just sit and they enjoy company until the morning, where she's a Midwesterner, and she likes to get things done. She's task-oriented, task-driven, 
And she, like, it like drives her nuts. And she, she just has to get up and do the dishes. So they have this culture collision. There's also, I know there, it can be a wake-up call, uh, pun intended, when it comes to snooze alarms. Do we have any people that use snooze alarms? Well, when you first get married, that can be, that can be a brutal wake-up call. That's not a question you ask, you know, in, during engagement usually. What's your, what's your uh, what's, what kind of culture do you have when it comes to the snooze alarm? That can drive a person insane, but those are culture collisions. We, we desire as a church, and when people walk in these doors, there is a collision of sorts with a culture that's something other than what they've experienced on this earth. Because Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He introduced to us a kingdom that's not of this world. And then he invites us into being culture creators with him, inviting other people into this kingdom that's not of this world. It's, it's really subversive to the culture around us. And, um, and so we want to create intentionally a culture that's distinct from the world around us. So when people step in here they, and into our community, in all of its facets and context, they experience something different. Amen? So this morning is authenticity. We're going to talk about authenticity um, which simply means to be real or to be genuine. Authenticity. We seek to be authentic in all that we, all that we do and all that we are as people of God, as LifePoint Church. We want to be a, a house that's, that people call us authentic. These people are just down to earth. They are the real deal. They're genuine. That's our heart. That's what we're contending for. I'm not saying we've arrived. I'm saying that's what we're hoping for and desiring in our day in our city to be authentic, to be real. I believe that's what our city needs. I believe that's what the world needs, is to see a church that's authentic, that's real, that's genuine. If the message that we espouse is true, then there should, there should be a substance to it that really shakes people. They, they notice there's something different about the message that they carry. And I want to tell you that the world around us, they're taking note. They're watching us. You know that they're watching us? If you have the label of Christian on your, on your, which I know in the West doesn't always mean a whole lot, but if you have that, that label over your life in any form or fashion, people are watching you. I recently had a conversation with my seven-year-old daughter. We were driving uh, down Grand Avenue, and we had recently hosted a guest in our, in our home. He was a speaker here at this church, Dick Schroeder. Some of you guys remember him just a few weeks back. It was phenomenal. But he's the real deal in terms of his Christianity. And my, my daughter was was driving in the car and, and with me and she said, hey dad, you know how some Christians, they just talk about Jesus when they're at church? I was like, oh yeah, babe, I, I know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Uh, she's like, yeah, well, Dick's different. He always talks about Jesus. And you know, Dick is one of my daughter, Lucy's one of her favorite people in the world. She loves hanging out, out with him. So for her to say that, she's not saying like he's a downer. Like some people talk about religious things and it's kind of a downer. He talks about Jesus and there's this attractive nature about who he is and how he carries himself that draws this curiosity out of my daughter. The next generation, they're watching us. The world, they're watching us. What is the substance of the message and the faith that we carry? We seek to be authentic. So I wanna wanna paint this picture for you by simply looking at the gospels and the person of Jesus. Because Jesus really sets the bar He sets the standard for us when it comes to authenticity. He came and immersed himself amongst humanity. Didn't just send down a revelation and keep his distance, but instead he came and he lived with us, shoulder to shoulder, God with us, and the person of Emmanuel, Jesus. 
So we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at the life of Jesus to set up this, paint this picture for you, hopefully vividly, of the way Jesus, his, his MO, the way he operated in our midst. And so the first is how he demonstrated authentic relationships. Authentic relationships. Jesus didn't just stand on a stage. He didn't just talk from, in synagogues. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is continually ruffling the feathers of the religious establishment. Because what? In Luke 15, it says they're, they're getting upset because he's always eating and drinking with, with sinners and tax collectors. What did he do? He loved to gather around the table with the people that he, he came to give his life for. With his disciples, he'd break bread with them. He'd be there around the table eating food that he'd, he'd laugh. He'd laugh with them. He'd cry with them. He'd tell stories. He'd draw them into his kingdom by painting a picture for them of what his kingdom is like. Right there around the table, shoulder to shoulder. It's authentic relationships. In this hodgepodge, like Motley crew of disciples that he called to follow him. What did he do? He walked down the path with them. They went on journeys together and he'd point things out and he'd, he'd illustrate the way his kingdom, what his kingdom is like. He'd tell stories there on the path. John chapter 21, in order to get their attention that he really did rise from the dead. What does he do? He appears to them in John chapter 21. He says, hey, come bring some of that fish that I just caught for you. Come here to the shore and let's eat breakfast together. That's the, that's the kind of savior that he, he demonstrated himself to be, that he's authentic in his relationships with us. So as authentic relationships, you can think of the different examples of Jesus demonstrating authentic relationships. Second is this. In the Gospels, as you peruse and survey the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this beautiful picture, this beautiful mosaic of Jesus' unique and intimate, one-of-a-kind encounters with every single individual. Jesus is not about mass production. You don't see any form of an assembly line when it comes to Jesus. He is in the business of authentic encounters. That's what he does. He authentically meets us where we're at. We see in John chapter one, one of my favorite stories of this. Two brothers, Philip and Nathaniel. Philip has already been called to follow Jesus. And he says, hey, Nathaniel, you gotta check this guy out. He's the real deal. And Nathaniel's kind of a cynic, kind of more doubting. He says, no. I heard he's from Nazareth. There's nothing, that good, no, nothing good that comes from Nazareth. But Jesus comes to him. He says, hey, Nathaniel, before Philip called you, I saw you underneath the fig tree. I don't know what happened underneath that fig tree, but in that moment, Nathaniel's eyes were open. He's like, what? This guy just read my mail. He knows me. Nathaniel was stopped in his tracks. Jesus read his mail. Whatever happened under that fig tree, whether it was some prayer to God or question under his breath, whatever it was, Jesus saw him. And that day, Nathaniel had an encounter with God that changed the trajectory of his life. 180 degrees. Now he's going to surrender his life to follow this guy. Those are unique, intimate, authentic encounters. And the stories like that go on and on and on. Luke chapter 19, there's a story of Jesus in the masses. And so, yes, he teaches to the masses and teaches to the crowds. But he looks up in a sycamore tree and he sees this this wretched man, Zacchaeus, hated by his peers because he stole from them. He's a traitor. He's a tax collector. He sees Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out with you. I'm going to your house. Hopefully you got something in the oven because I'm coming to your house. He's, he's so authentic in his pursuit of us. 
And he reveals that to us. We see it in John chapter four. Jesus approaches a woman at a public well, at Jacob's well. And again, he reads her mail. Hey, I know you're, you've been married several times. The guy that you're living with right now, you're not married to him either. And she's like, how does this guy know me? He, he, we just met. And again, Jesus encounters individuals so uniquely, so intimately. He's not into mass production, not into assembly lines. So it's authentic relationships, authentic encounters. Third is authentic atmospheres. Jesus is all about creating authentic atmospheres that build trust with the hurting and the broken. Jesus is not about gimmicks. He's not about hype. He's not about manipulation. Jesus is really about bridging the gap of trust to meet us where we're at. We see in Luke chapter five, this story of Jesus calling Levi, who becomes Matthew, ends up writing the, the gospel of Matthew. And the, the Pharisees and the, the scribes, they're like, they're so turned off by this man who would associate with the lowly tax collectors like Levi. But somehow Jesus created this atmosphere, this environment that drew the hurting and the broken to, to himself. He built this trust with them not so that he could affirm their sin. But Jesus didn't draw on the tax collectors and be like, hey, let me teach you how to get even more money out of your peers, how to steal more money. No, no, no. He drew them to himself somehow. To, he built that trust with them somehow by creating that atmosphere, that authentic atmosphere. And then he showed them a different way. He showed them what repentance in the kingdom of God really looks like. Same with all the sinners, the prostitutes. He didn't teach them how to be better sinners. He showed them a better way. So I see that as this, yeah, this just amazing ability to create an authentic atmosphere. And fourth is authentic lifestyles. Jesus pierced through the religious exteriors of his day. And he was relentless. He was relentless in this pursuit so much that it cost him his life. Jesus was not going to put up with religious superficialities. So time and time again, Jesus would pierce through the religious worthlessness of his day. I mean, there's this, I would say a tragic story in Luke chapter six of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. And there the, the leaders, they are so ticked off that Jesus would heal a man on the Sabbath. So a day that they saw as holy and for them that meant a very, a very narrow um, sense of what that meant. Like he healed a man on the Sabbath day, what a, what a travesty. But Jesus calls him out. This is a day for doing good things. And I'm going to continue to do good things. This man's life is forever changed. 180 degrees. The trajectory of this man's life was changed as his withered hand becomes healthy again and whole. So Jesus was adamant about piercing through the religious superficialities and contending for an authentic lifestyle. This kingdom that he presented to us it cannot be understood through a, through a lens of religion, through, a, through a, a lens of just cleaning up the outside of who we are and putting on an act. He's contending for our hearts that we truly seek after him. He's contending for a lifestyle. So we see this picture of Jesus in the Gospels. Pursue humanity through authentic relationships and authentic encounters by creating authentic atmospheres and contending for authentic lifestyles. And so that is, it's in that paradigm, that, that lens, through that framework, 
that as a church, we seek to cultivate a culture of, or an environment that is authentic. So I wanna, I wanna bring that to bear then on how we do, or why we do what we do around here. So first is in the realm of authentic relationships. We are a church that believes that every person that walks in the doors of this church deserves authentic relationships in the church. God didn't call you to come follow him and then just to sit in some chairs, listen to a message on a Sunday morning and leave and never talk to the people in this church family ever again. God called you to live in the context of community, of real, authentic relationships. That's what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're contending for in this church is true, authentic relationships. I remember as a middle schooler, my eyes being open to this reality. A man of God from our church, he asked if he could hire me for a few bucks an hour to go and help him fix fence at his dad's uh, farm, fix cattle fence. I was like, sure. I was stupid enough to say yes. And... But there on the drive, he unpacked the real reason he wanted to hire me. He wanted to hire me so that he could begin to encourage me in my faith and be, begin to build me up as a man of God. He saw something in me that I sure didn't see in myself coming from a broken family, walking around with a whole lot of insecurities. As a middle schooler, he said, Drew, I could have probably done this by myself, but Drew, I really love you. And I see this in you. He began to speak things out over my life. I, mean, I began to realize, wow, for him, this, is, this, is, this whole Christianity thing is it's more than just like a Sunday morning act. This is real. And it was beginning, the beginning of, of authentic relationships in the context of the church. And that's my prayer for every single person in this place, that you'd experience authentic relationships, which is a two-way street. It's, yes, you being vulnerable and authentic with others and others being authentic and vulnerable. That's what we're contending for across the board in this church. People would experience authentic relationships. And so we see that many times coming to bear through our life groups and our classes. So we encourage everyone to jump into either a life group or a class. That's our prayer is that every person that calls LifePoint Church their home, that they'd either be a part of a life group or a class in any given season, any given semester. So our life groups run through from September through May. And it's right there in the context of a living room that you begin to more closely associate with the life of Jesus. Because that's where he was. He wouldn't have just hung out here. This is an awesome church, but he wouldn't have just hung out here. Jesus would hang out in our living rooms too. That's who you find in life group. Because when you gather together with some other people, all going after Jesus, different places in their journey with the Lord, and you open up the Bible in a living room, shoulder to shoulder, things begin to come alive. You begin to be inspired and encouraged in your relationship with Jesus like never before through the context of authentic relationships. You tracking with me? It's a big deal. And same with classes. Classes for us, it's, it's a group of people contending to understand one topic or one subject area over a nine-week period. And so our classes, they come on a semester uh, cycle. So we encourage you to either find a life group or find a class in this season. It's a big deal. So it's authentic relationships. Second, we saw in the life of Jesus, authentic encounters. This, this dictates much of uh, the, how we pray over our gatherings, how we pray over the the people that walk in our church, we're praying that they would have a unique encounter for themselves with Jesus. That no one in this place would settle for a secondhand Christianity. Oh, I heard this other person talking about Jesus, or my parents always really 
respected and loved Jesus. No, we want every person for themselves firsthand to encounter Jesus for themselves. And that's what we contend for. And, and for, for uh, most Sundays, you'll realize that the way we end our services is by giving a direct response at the end of the service. That's why. It's because we want to give every opportunity we can for people to have a, have a moment, a, a line in the sand, a mile marker moment where they stand before Jesus and make a decision that they can look back on and say, ever since that morning, my life has changed because they had an encounter with God. So don't over, overthink or over-sensationalize or over-spiritualize that word encounter. I feel like that just, that just uh, encapsulates the, the intimacy of Jesus meeting you where you're at. It's really what we mean by that word, encounter. But that, it's, that, it's that contending in our hearts for an authentic encounter which, which drives us to pray the prayers that we pray. Because we are a church that prays for the miraculous. We are a church that believes in signs and wonders. As we see in, the, in the, the Gospels and even into the book of Acts, we see a kingdom of which is characterized by the miraculous and signs and wonders. And I feel like much of the, the Western church is in decline, especially as it comes to passing it to the next generation, because of the lack of power in, in the Western church. When we recapture the heart of the kingdom of God to be demonstrated to a broken and needy world in a real way, that's when people's eyes are opened. So we're not patting people on the back when they come in here. But instead we're contending that the, need, the desperate needs of the hour in their life, that God would meet them where they're at. And he'd, he'd demonstrate himself to them as savior, as healer, as the restorer, because that's who he is. He is our redeemer. And time and time again, we see Jesus reveal himself in that way. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for authentic encounters. So thirdly was authentic atmospheres. We desire to cultivate an environment, a culture, where there's an authentic atmosphere that builds trust with people. That's why we're not big into a certain uh, dress or attire. There's no um, dress code when it comes to LifePoint Church. Some of us, like Michael, love to, love to wear suits. I, I'll probably never be wearing shorts or anything, but like, you can come as you are. Like, we want you to be comfortable. Not too comfortable, but come, 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 come as you are. There's no, you don't have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way. This is an atmosphere that we want to cultivate that looks like the Gospels. Or Jesus is shoulder to shoulder with people that really recognize their need for him. And Jesus said he didn't come for, for the well. He came for the sick. And so we just say, hey, we're, we're going to come. We're going to come and we're hungry for God. We want God to move in our lives. And that's the posture of all of our hearts. It's that atmosphere of, of community-wide hunger in our hearts to experience what God has for us. It's an authentic atmosphere. It's that, it's that, that value or that priority in our heart that drives us to worship the way that we worship. We want to worship in an authentic way. We're not just singing songs. We're not singing karaoke. We're not singing songs just because they were passed down to us. We feel like every generation has a fresh voice to express to the Lord. As we pick songs that we worship to throughout the week, it's not just a random set list of songs, but these are songs that resonate with our heart, that resonate with what God is speaking to us in this moment, in this hour. So it becomes this atmosphere of true heart worship. That's that authentic atmosphere that we're contending for. It's an authentic atmosphere. 
I believe more and more that's what's going to break down the walls between the church and a broken and needy world around us. We contend for an authentic atmosphere that says, wow, there really is a God that's alive. He's really alive and he wants to move in people's lives. So come as you are, come. It's like that picture in Luke 15, Jesus gathered with the ones that really needed him. And fourthly was authentic lifestyles. Authentic lifestyles. Authentic relationships, authentic encounters, authentic atmospheres, authentic lifestyles. We are a church, and I talk about it, you probably think I'm a broken record. We're just not gonna put up with religion for religion's sake. I quit my job as a nuclear engineer not to have a vocation in religion because I want people to really encounter and grow in their relationship with Jesus. So what we're contending for is lifestyle change. We're contending for a lifestyle change, for people to encounter the kingdom of God in such a way that it affects their Monday morning. And I just encourage you, wherever you're at in the spectrum, wherever you're at in your, your, uh, your faith journey, Contend for more. If, if what you've experienced thus far has not yet affected your Monday morning, can I encourage you to contend for more? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will come unto you. That must mean something for our Tuesday afternoon. So push forward. And so the, the, the overarching culture of our church is contending for lifestyle Christianity. Not Sunday morning Christianity. Not political Christianity, religious Christianity, hypocritical Christianity, a lifestyle Christianity that's genuine, that's real, it's authentic. That's not perfect. That's not perfection. We know that we won't experience any sort of perfection this side of eternity. But there is this genuine humility, posture in our hearts that says, God, I want you to, to wreck my Tuesday afternoon with your priorities, your strategies. That would be the, become the new mantra of our, of our lives. That's why the the mantra of our church is live the message. We believe if we truly believe the message of Jesus Christ, that God intervened in our, in our um, course to, to hell, our crash course to hell, if he wouldn't have intervened, it, it would have been a wreck. And that, that Jesus actually came to pursue relationship with us, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That should impact our Tuesday mornings, our Tuesday afternoons should impact every day of the week. It's called lifestyle Christianity. The message of Jesus Christ is meant to be lived. Live the message. We owe it to the world to get this right. We really do. I want to end with this, this short illustration. We owe it to the world to get this authenticity thing right. Just imagine with me that my... Um, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter comes to me. Her name is Quinn. She's amazing. She's got the vocabulary of an eight-year-old with a Boston accent. She's, <laughs> she's awesome. Um, but imagine I, I call my, my beautiful daughter, and the worship team can come, my beautiful daughter to, my, to me, and I say, hey, come here, Quinn. I want to gift you something. I want to gift you with this crisp $20 bill. Here it is. This $20 bill. And I'm going to give this to her. Say, hey, babe, I love you. You can have this. You can do whatever you want with it. And she's so, so stoked. She's, she's going to be four next month. She's just so amazed and excited. Wow, my dad is so generous. He's so giving. She doesn't even know what $20 can buy, but she's just excited about it. 
So she runs off to her room and she, she sticks it in her money box. She's got a little money box and, and there it sits. She's a kid. She doesn't have too many needs in the world. And so there the $20 sits for the next five, seven, 10 years go by. And this $20 bill sits in her money box. Now she's 14 years old. The year will be 2030. Just FYI. It'll be 2030. I know that's going to be the future. And she goes to her money box. And now she's coming of age. She's a woman. She, is, she, has, she has desires and wants and needs to use this $20 for. So she goes to her money box and she grabs the $20 bill. And she's like, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy. A, 10 years from now, you probably won't, won't be able to buy a pack of gum. So she's like, I'm going to go buy a pack of gum. She goes to the store and she gets her awesome pack of gum and she hands her $20 bill to the cashier. The cashier takes one look at this and is like, this is a joke, right? <laughs> Hands it back to her. $20, please. She's like, no, my dad gave me, my dad gave this to me. Take my money, please. My dad gave this to me. The cashier says, sorry, sorry, girl. It's a, it's a tough world out there. Tough, cold, harsh world out there. Sorry, this is not gonna work. And literally, this dollar bill literally says, play money on it. Play money. It's play money. <laughs> But we owe it to the next generation to get this authenticity thing right, to get this thing of genuineness in our pursuit of Jesus right. Because every time that we live out our, our walk with Jesus, every time we make a declaration, every time we invite them to church with us, the lost and the next generation, we're making a deposit into their life. And I just pray that what we're depositing into their life is the real deal. <laughs> It's genuine, it's authentic. Because here's what happens. We invite the lost and the broken, the needy. We invite our kids to church with us or we bring them to church with us. We make a deposit into their life. There's gonna be coming a day for my daughter, Quinn. The day is coming quick. She'll turn 13, 14 years old. She's gonna hold up you know, what I deposited into her life. She's gonna hold it up to the light and test it. Is it real? Is it authentic? And it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be shown the, what we deposited into their life. And sadly, much of the younger generation, they end up turning away from the Lord, I would say, because what's been deposited into them wasn't the real deal anyways. That's why I love college ministry so much. We have this, this slew of 35,000 students down the, down the street from us, many of whom have never really heard the good news of Jesus. They've heard about a form of Christianity. They've heard about church. Some of them have sat through a decade of church, but they've never really experienced the authentic. And so they, they come to the college campus, they hold up the light. They're like, oh, this is, this is a farce. This is a fable. This is, this is silliness. There's no power to this. So what we, need, what we need to contend for as a church is the authentic that what we deposit into the next generation, what we deposit into the lost and the broken, the needy that come into this place is the authentic. It's the real deal. It passes the test. Obviously, what we deposit into them, they have to receive on their own accord. They have to make a decision for themselves. With all that we can do, with all that we can, we can muster up in our hearts to, be, to, to rid ourselves of, real, of religious silliness and just to contend for the authentic power that actually impacts lives. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to give ourselves to. Amen. We owe it to the world. Can you all stand in this place? We're going to respond to Jesus. We owe it to the world to get this right.
I just have one simple response I'm gonna call for this morning. If you're here in this place and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Jesus gave himself for you. He loves you. More than you can ever imagine, more than you can ever know. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We actually, we in that moment, when you place your faith in Jesus, that he's your savior, he's your sufficiency, there's nothing you can do to clean up your life. You begin a relationship with God. It's called being born again in John chapter three. You're not entering back into your mother's womb, but instead you're, you're experiencing a rebirth through the Holy Spirit. Well, I wanna give an opportunity for anybody in this place to respond to that. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you. If you wanna surrender your life to Christ, if you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, if you wanna commit your life to the Lord, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, not because I'm gonna call you out or embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome, I see that hand, yes, awesome, great. I see hands all over this place. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, or if you're joining us online, you can pray a prayer like this from your heart. Lord, right now, I recognize my need for you. I recognize my utter, desperate need for you. There's nothing I can do to clean up my life. So I come now, this morning, to an end of myself. I'm gonna stop striving, my own effort, my own works. I surrender myself before you as my Savior, as my Lord. No turning back. You are now my sufficiency. You are my strength. You're my hope. You're my everything. I choose to follow you, Lord. No turning back. Amen. Let's give those that prayed that prayer, let's give them a huge hand. It's a big deal. If anybody in this place ever wants a Bible or needs a Bible, we always have Bibles out at our Welcome Center. You can stop by there and grab a Bible. We want to equip you in your journey with Jesus. I ask the worship team to, to play this song, Living Hope. I'm going to pray one last prayer over us as a church. In the context of this series, um, Culture Defined, these, these are important messages that they begin to actually resonate in our hearts as a church. Not just my heart, but all of our hearts together, that we contend for the authentic. So Lord, right now I pray that over us as a church, that Lord, we'd settle for nothing less than the genuine, authentic gospel of Jesus Christ burning in our hearts. We're not playing games, God. God, we, we dispense of our, our play money. We're not playing with this stuff anymore. We want the authentic, real deal Christianity, what you gave your life for, Lord. That's what we want in our lives. We owe it to this neighborhood. We owe it to this city. We owe it to the next generation to get this right. So God, now we, we come on our knees and we say, God, move in our hearts, move in our minds. Begin to affect our Monday mornings. Begin to affect our weeks as we contend for an authentic Christianity in your name, Jesus. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.